Uh, what got you there with got you got you? What got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Got you there with Shonda Laney? Alex Bodman is the VP Global Executive Director at Spotify. Since joining in 2015, Alex has built an in-house creative team of over 30 people, recognized by Ad Age A List 2018 as the in-house creative agency of the year. His team provides consultancy and toolkits for the brand globally, allowing their vision to scale across the world. An Australian who relocated to Brooklyn to follow his digital first slash social first mindset, he worked with Razorfish New York's agency side as group creative director. While there, Alex developed concepts and strategy and led teams on campaigns for Axe, Mercedes-Benz Smart Car, and the music streaming service Spotify, among with other brands, before becoming Spotify's first global creative director in 2015. Get ready for a behind-the-scenes look into the leader of one of the most creative brands out there. Hey guys, I want to tell you about the brand I'm obsessed with right now. And you guys know I'm pretty obsessive about the brands I work with, especially when it comes to athletic apparel. You guys need to check out 10,000. You need to head to 10,000.cc and you guys can enter code WGYT and you're going to receive 20%, yes, 20% off your entire order. Why do I love 10,000? 10,000 created the only training shorts you'll ever need. They do so by simplifying your options to deliver three premium shorts that perfectly cover all the ways you train. They have one built for versatility, another for durability, and one super lightweight, perfect for one of those runs or whatever else you do for fitness. No matter what you do, they have you covered. CrossFit, running, spin, yoga, lifting, or your weekend adventure, it doesn't matter what you do for fitness. They have a short for every way you train. They make it super simple too to find the right short. Just pick the short that's best for you, your lifestyle, personalize it with your individual needs with a custom liner and inseam options and start getting after it. Not sure if they have the right short? No need to worry, you guys. Make a return or exchange. They offer free shipping, free exchanges, and free returns on every order. Like I said, 10,000 is my favorite brand right now. I am wearing their apparel all the time when I'm working out. I can't recommend them enough. Head to 10,000.cc, enter code WGYT, and you've got 20% off your entire order. Looking for your next getaway to a beach paradise? Ever consider Tulum, Mexico, which is one of my favorite places to spend a few days? Then look no further than Colibri Boutique Hotels to make your trip to paradise one you'll never forget. Head to ColibriBoutiqueHotels.com to see their hotels, all of which offer their own unique feel. Calibri not only has built amazing hotels, but have partnered with some of the best chefs and mixologists on the planet to make your stay truly memorable. Making change transpire. That's the mission behind the most amazing tasting protein bar brand taking the nutrition industry by storm. That brand, they're MCT Co. And they make the most delicious, keto-friendly, all-natural collagen protein bars. If you're obsessed with the quality of food going into your body like I am, then head out and pick up these amazing bars jammed with 10 grams of collagen protein. They only have two to three net carbs, no added sugar, and loaded with high-quality MCT oil for the healthy fats from coconuts. Whether you're busy running the kids around from activity to activity, a professional athlete, or just someone looking for a great-tasting convenience snack, do yourself a favor. Head to mctco.com 
and use code WGYT for 20% off your order. Alex, welcome to What Got You There. How are you doing today? I'm really well, thank you. How are you doing? I am doing very well. I'm excited about this. Like I mentioned, we we have a lot of creatives uh, who listen to the show, so they're going to be incredibly interested about your process, what you're doing. But I feel like there are few companies who sit at the crossroads of technology and culture that are having a larger impact than Spotify and, and what you're working on. Do you feel the magnitude of your work? Um, I don't know if I feel the magnitude of my specific work, but I do feel the privilege of working at a company that is in the, exactly in the space that you just identified. You know, there's so many great companies out there. There's, there's wildly creative companies. There's companies that are innovating in tech or, or social or how we communicate. Um, there's companies, you know, doing fascinating things with music and in the podcast space and, and, and all the rest. Somehow, Spotify is in this incredibly fortunate place where it's doing all of that at once. And, and it's also incredibly interconnected. And so I think I definitely feel the magnitude of that and the impact um, that that is having. And it's, it's rare that you'll find yourself working at a company where when people hear about it or, you know, that you're working there, that they'll, you know, not that everybody uses our service, but I know so many people that do that we'll, we'll instantly start talking about it in a really personal way um, and be engaged and talk about, you know, how they discovered this artist on it or, you know, how suddenly now they're, they're obsessed with all these podcasts they found on it or, you know, everyone has an idea for like the, the way it could be improved, which um, some people find annoying, but I actually love, um, even though that sometimes they're very similar just because it means people care, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think that's really cool. And uh, sometimes the ideas are really clever as well. So like that, that is a really fortunate place to be. I think being at that intersection as well of sort of technology and culture, it means that you're in an environment of makers. And that is something as well that if you're a creative person is a, is a really exciting place to be because you've got, you know, literally thousands of some of the world's best tech people innovating, uh, making sure that the service isn't just functional, but that it continues to get better and more intuitive and, um, that its algorithms are make the make it feel even more personal. Um, it means that you know in and out of the doors are some of the world's best creators who are coming to figure out how they can you know work best on our platform and reach more of our audience. You know it means the the people who understand how to partner with those artists are uh, sort of sitting you know one floor above you and and that they're trying to figure out how best to make sure people's art is represented and they're supported. So. Anytime you walk into a meeting, it's going to be this combination of, of best-in-class people um, who know how to make or innovate or impact culture, which means you have to bring sort of your best self um, and you have to be really open. You know, if you want to be the smartest person in the room, then I'd say this is a pretty bad place to work. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's so interesting and mention having to bring your A game at all times. I'm intrigued and interested. Did you always view yourself as a creative, even when you were younger? Um, well, um, I mean, it's funny, you know, and, and it's such a cheesy answer, but I have, um, I have a seven and a five-year-old and, you know, and I, I don't think I'm the first person to say this, but I totally get it now, which is like, you know, I think, I think the world beats creativity out of children. You know, I don't think that children necessarily think of themselves as creators, but 
they they are just naturally so inventive and bold and you know if they're not drawing they're building they're doing this they're imagining they're making stories up um they're you know sort of in that mode constantly and then we sort of over time um force them to become more useful in a way that we sort of have to um so i think you know i I definitely was that kid you know i always had like five side projects going the film i was going to make the thing i was going to do the the book i started but never finished it wasn't particularly focused but it was it was always present and so that was definitely i think where my story is different not different to many other people but different to some is is that that just continued you know i you know all through high school was my favorite subjects always involved writing or art you know, I made the choice to go to art school um, at college, which is the the least practical thing you can do. So I suppose I just, I, I never deviated from that natural instinct. Yeah, always continued with that childhood wonder, that fascination. You're from Australia originally, right? Yeah, that's right. I was born in Sydney and, and grew up there and went to college there as well. Well, I, I know you're in New York now. What are the big differences for, for someone who haven't left the U.S. and are wondering what, what's life like in Australia growing up? Um, oh, I don't know. And I suppose that there would be so many different experiences. I think for me growing up in, um, in Sydney um, during the time when I did, which was being, you know, being born right as the 80s began and, and growing up as a, a kid through the 80s and then a teenager through the 90s, there's probably a ton of things which aren't different. You know, I think the the macro trends and the the music that was playing, you know, I uh I grew up on on, you know, Prince and and uh, Madonna and everyone like everyone else in the world, you know, the 90s I I had all the flannel shirts and and listened to all the grunge and so there's there's a bunch of, you know, there's a bunch of of cultural influences that feel very connected and it'll, it'll even be funny to me now when, you know, I'll be in a conversation here at the office and, and somebody will be like, oh, did, did, did you ever hear of that, you know, sitcom Married with Children in Australia? And I'll be like, yeah, no, we, we had television, you know, it's, it was, it's not all that different. You know, that's, uh, <laughs> um, so that's, th- th- none of that felt um, too different, I think. So you do feel very connected in that sense. Um, and Australia is in a way that surprises a lot of people, a very multicultural country. Um, it is, um, uh, there was a huge amount of immigration from places like Italy and Greece in the, the 50s and 60s. That means that like espresso coffee is just the norm, even in like a mall in the outer suburbs. And, you know, you're more, more likely to be having a, a bowl of spaghetti bolognese for dinner than, than any other dish. And then in what you saw in the 70s and, and continuing to the 80s was a big wave of Asian migration, um, which has continued to date, which means, and that just hasn't had a, a, a culinary effect on the culture, but all sorts of other things. So, in a way that people might not expect when they think of Australia, it's more of a, a melting pot than it seems. And um, that is kind of nice, you know, going to school and, and, and high school, it, it, you would you would jump on, on the school bus and, and you would see sort of representatives of, of different cultures from all around the world um, there. And, and, and that's something that is pulled off with, um, I think, compared to most other places, an, an impressive degree of, of sort of harmony and openness. So I think it was nice to have, have that influence and everything else. I think there's, there's some things that are just different. Like when I see the way that kids uh, or teenagers or, or people forming their life growing up in a place like New York or London, 
um, just the access of, of live music they have, of theatre, of, of all this sort of um, uh, world-class stuff. Australia has lots of world-class performers, and of course we export so much talent. If you want to look at any Hollywood film or anything like that, you know, there's no lack of talent there. But, you know, it's just not the same. When I first moved to New York for the first month or so, I moved here with my wife from Australia, and I just couldn't believe it, like, looking in the paper or jumping online, like what things we could go to or what we could see all the time. It, you know, it felt like Sydney Festival, which is only two weeks. And I actually burnt us out in a month or two. I was just buying tickets to everything. You know, I, I was like, yeah, to the point where like after like six weeks, we were like dreading this next show that I, I booked us to go to or this next experience. And I realized I had to slow down and pace pace myself a bit more because, um, you know, it, and now, of course, I've been in New York nine years later and like everyone, I'm completely jaded and I probably get to like one thing every few months and don't take nearly enough advantage of, of what the city has to offer. Um, but, you know, that, that is a, a market difference. And then I think that there is a sense for not, not by no means all Australians growing up or Sydney siders growing up, but for a lot of my friends, um, just this real curiosity about, you know, feeling very far away from the rest of the world. And a lot of people comment like, why do I always see Australians traveling everywhere? And God, there's an Australian backpacker everywhere and they're all through New York. And like, you know, there's, there's areas of London that are, you know, called Little Australia. And, you know, what is it about that? And I think it's just, you know, loving where you're from, but also feeling like you're far away from the rest of the world. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a real rite of passage to then start traveling, live abroad for a little while, um, backpack, you know, regularly explore just because, um, you know, we, we're a big island. And I, I think that there is that, um, that desire uh, to sort of see what's out there. And that kind of explains the wanderlust of, of a typical Australian. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned melting pot, and it seems like a natural progression both to end up in New York City and, and then a company like Spotify. You also mentioned art school. When you originally yeah. decided to go to art school, what was your specialty there? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very um, good example of a pattern that I think has formed through my life of really not having a good plan. I think I, <laughs> I, think I just knew I enjoyed being creative, and I think I originally actually had applied for a degree that was more of like a communications degree that actually probably would have been a more logical through line for the work I'm doing now or, or more direct through line to the work I do now. Um, and then I just missed out on getting in. Um, and I kind of, you know, being a, a, a dumb 18 year old almost bungled the way I did the application. If I'd applied um, 12 months earlier before I went traveling after high school, it would have been fine. And so I found myself with my second choice, which was this art school I barely looked into. And I thought, oh, well, maybe I want to make films. So I'll do whatever film course they have at the art school. And it's art school and I'll meet interesting people. And great, you know, and so it, that was my plan. And I went in and they didn't really do film school there. I discovered as I arrived they they did what they called um, time based art, is is what it was referred to, and it had like all the AV equipment, and it had the ability to edit, and it had the ability to make stuff, but it it was called time based art because it wasn't limited just to a film or a short film. It could be a video piece, it could be a performance piece. It's any type of visual art that involves an element of time, a beginning and an end. Um, and so that was, you know, very interesting. Well, what are you, what are you majoring in time-based art? And then people would just look really, really confused. <laughs> um, so it was, it was a, a, a strange, um, place to land, but, but, you know, a, a perfect one too. It was, you know, we, I made incredibly weird, um, experimental films, um, you know, 
met friends I still have today and collaborators that I had for a long time. Um, the woman I ended up marrying, um, really, and and ended up pushing myself to think conceptually in ways that I probably wouldn't have done had I gone somewhere where I was just making what I thought a short film should be. You know, I ended up doing stuff that even though if I probably looked back now, I would cringe. I was definitely pushing myself to think in a way that I never would have before in order to sort of get the interest or the the approval of of the sort of uh, professors there who were really artists. You know, they, they, they weren't interested in making anything that would be on a cinema or television. They, they, they were interested in projecting onto gallery walls or challenging conventions. And so I, I sort of lucked into a world that, that sort of forced me to um, push myself and, and always have a really strong conceptual underpinning or understanding of the choices I was making. And I made a really good discovery by about the end of my second or third year where I sort of thought, I would maybe be behind it, the camera or be, be a, a visually based uh, sort of creator. And then I found that people, after I would make a piece or whatever, they would always compliment the writing. And they would always say, oh, it was really well written. And I'd go, to, who wrote that for you? Or where did you get the text? And I realized two things. Number one, they were subtly telling me that the visuals weren't great <laughs> and that the editing was sloppy. <laughs> and uh, number two, that maybe I actually was... Um, a writer. And so that was, I kind of came out of visual art school realizing that writing is, is where my greatest strength was. Um, so that was also a gift that came out of that process because I don't think that's where my mind was beforehand. You mentioned conceptual thinking. I would love, can you even dive deeper on that and, and how that formulated for you? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that the, um, when you go to art school, um, I suppose you know, and again, it depends on the art school, but this was an art school that, that was very much known for conceptual rigor and, and you know, uh, that, that type of thing and, and being critical, et cetera, which has, was, still is, but was very much the, the art trend at the time. Um, and I think as I became to understand that, you know, you start making work at the beginning of art school and if you have the right professors or you have the right teachers, they'll be like, that's a cliche, that's cheesy, I've seen that a thousand times. What's actually the idea here? Like, what are you trying to achieve? Like, what are you exploring? What are the concepts, you know? And so in order to, you know, succeed and to make work that they think is interesting, you have to have sort of a central idea. And before you even get to the execution, like what is that core concept? What is the tension? What is the the, the thing that's interesting and, and, and different and worth exploring? And then from there, how do you execute it in a way that feels pure to that concept and doesn't feel um, purely executional or expected? And then, you know, and that could, you know, lead to a number of different ways. And now I work in a field where I'm sort of working on brands and building communications and campaigns, etc. It's a very actually similar thought process that you need to get to to do work that's really interesting. It has to start with that core idea that feels original or compelling, insightful, um, that's going to make someone care, that feels, you know, that it has a cleverness or a, a charm to it. And then you have to execute it on a way that doesn't feel expected or boring. And so while I think um, anyone who taught me back at art school would be horrified to um, think that that's what they were doing. It was actually very good training for what I do today. Um, and, and a lot of those skills are, are still applied constantly. 
you mentioned a lot of those skills are still applied. And something that really piqued my interest is you almost stumbled upon discovering you're a very good writer. And and when you <laughs> first started understanding that actually what you were doing was great writing, was there anything you did to even become a better writer at that time? Um, I just wrote more and uh, I combined it with another passion, which was travel. So I traveled uh, when I finished high school Um, As soon as I turned 18, I took a year off before I went into art school and uh, saved up and then went backpacking um, and and explored explored a bit of the world. And then when I finished uh, college, I had the same instinct. I was like, okay, I'm in a liminal phase. It's not like my phone's ringing off the hook with people wanting to hire a young guy out of art school. And so I, (laughs) I I saved up more money and then went traveling for about eight months again. And then I used that um, eight months to like really just journal like crazy and write like crazy and um, send like a, a weekly to, to the, the people who were nice enough and kind enough to say that they cared like a weekly sort of uh, email. Back then, you know, you had big, your big email list and everything and I would send a, a big sort of long email explaining the week I just had and everything and, and really hone. And so those months were spent not just traveling, but actually trying to like become a more compelling writer and really use that. Um, so that was sort of my first step. And then I, I didn't do any more formal training or anything um, like that. Um, I think I've read one book on grammar and then I realized that my grammar is actually quite bad. You know, I'm by no means a formally trained writer. I just write like people write, I think, and, and you know, get most of it right. And then if I don't, somebody else catches it. But then went when I returned from my travels, I did a series of different jobs Um one of them was working in this really fascinating art center where I was sort of working in administration, but got to be around all these really creative, amazing people. And I realized that I was getting all these side gigs from people who had like a small business or a friend of mine who'd started like a little design firm. And sometimes people would want copy, which I didn't even know what copy was at first, but they were like, oh no, they need the words that are going to go on the website or they need this. And you know, it's worth $300. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. So I'd like, you know, take on, take on this little job and bang something out. And like, again, it was, you know, obviously I wasn't making a ton of money, but I, like, I wasn't even getting feedback. There were people, oh, they loved it. Thanks. Blah, blah, blah. So I realized that, okay, maybe there's something here. Like maybe there's actually a way to make money out of being creative because I seem to, every time it seems to go well and I'm not finding it very hard. Um, and that's when somebody suggested to me that there's this whole world of advertising and everything where, where people work as copywriters and they come up with ideas. And so I thought, you know, oh, okay, maybe I need to try to get my foot in the door there. But it was a very accidental process. There was nothing intentional about it whatsoever. Yeah, but I I think something that's so important is you just mentioned that you wrote more. And it's about getting that repetition, which could be the most important aspect of it all. I'm going to get back into your creative process here in a second. But travel, I'm obsessed with travel. I love hearing about it. What was your most memorable experience during one of your travel times? Oh, no, that's, that's impossible to pick a most, <laughs> most memorable or whatever. I think that the trip I did after um, high school was incredibly formative, as I think it would be for anyone who goes traveling, because I, I got to just do, um, I got to be so spontaneous and, and free in a way that I think you uh, would really get a chance to again in that I had an itinerary, but I was away for for months. I had, you know, a few thousand dollars in the bank, but that was enough because I could live so, you know, I had no expectations of 18 of comfort or, you know, um, any, any, anything fancy. And so 
I remember being in Turkey in Istanbul and I had planned out like the trip I was going to do in Turkey. I loved Istanbul, but then I just went past a travel agent and saw this like $200 return ticket to Cairo. And I hadn't even thought about Egypt, but it just like stuck in my head. And I just went and bought the Lonely Planet Guide to, to Egypt and looked into it. And it seemed safe enough back then. And it seemed interesting and doable and even cheaper than what I'd planned in Turkey. And so I just went and bought a ticket for the next day and then just emailed some family to let them know I was doing Egypt instead. And then just like sort of researched on the plane over what I thought a good itinerary was and then just ended up having two weeks in Egypt, which, which felt otherworldly and incredible for, for you know, somebody who was all of 18 and four months and meeting people along the way. And that's, that's one example. And I was in Thailand later on in my trip and then found out Cambodia had opened up and that people were loving it. So just decided to add Cambodia to the trip and go there and, and check it out. I ended up living in Cambodia later on inspired by that experience. So I think I could point to like a million great travel stories, but the larger thing was just that fluidity and freedom, just that sense of possibility, um, which is, is so hard to get in most times in your life. Yes, the sense of possibility. I'm wondering, do you feel that the work you're creating today is in large part due to some of the, the experiences you picked up during travel? Oh, wow, that's really interesting. I, I, I don't know if I could make a direct um, connection through the, um, through the specific experiences. I do think one of the things that if you've done big trips like that and, and repeatedly done those trips, um, one of the interesting things that happens is particularly with solo travel but even not with solo travel is just how open you come to meeting and getting to know different people particularly when you go to unusual destinations etc it's not like you have all these clicks of like cool travelers or blah 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 you you sort of meet people whether they're people who live there whether they're you know other travelers and in order to have a really fantastic time and, and to enjoy yourself you have to be very open and you have to um, be able to get along with, with different types of people, get to know them and, and get something out of, um, out of that time together. And whether it's my, the work I do today or whether it's what it is, I think that's just a really wonderful skill to hold on to. We can get so closed once we move back to our hometown or get settled into our daily routine. One of the things I love about New York is it's a city that kind of forces you to keep doing that. Um, it's a very social city. People just talk on the subway and, and people come from such different walks of life. And I think that's one of the things that's kept me hooked here so long is that it feeds into that, that part of life that I really like. It's so fascinating now hearing about your travel and, and I wasn't familiar with the amount of travel you've done and, and I'm someone who's obsessed with the creative process. And it seems like you may have one of the tougher jobs having to make high quality creative work that resonates with customers all over the world, and then across all different types of audio interests. I would just love you unpacking that and, and what goes into your thoughts around that. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting one, and I can, you know, I can unpack it in a few ways. I think one thing, and it wasn't me that made this observation, but it was actually um, the woman who hired me here at Spotify, and we were talking last year, and I was kind of saying, um, you know, I think we just received some um, award or accolade or something. And I was saying, yeah, look, you know, we're lucky. It's, it's easy for us. We, um, you know, we get to work with top artists and music. And, you know, it's kind of like it's, you know, we have, uh, we have so much great stuff to work with and blah, blah, blah. And she said, I think you're forgetting like what a high bar that sets as well. And I was sort of, I was like, what do you mean? And she goes, well, you know, you were a few weeks ago off, you know, overseeing a shoot with Cardi B and like, she's so hyper creative, you know, she's so interesting, you know, how are you going to make an interesting spot with her that like meets her standards, meets her fan standard is good for the brand. Like, 
that's very different to going off and, you know, selling potato chips or whatever. Like the, the bar is very high in terms of making that relevant and getting that note perfect, etc. And it's true, actually. It's like, it's both a huge opportunity, but a very high bar. Because if you're going to go off and engage with culture and do stuff that's meaningful to a, a hip hop community or a Nashville audience or everything else, then it has to be not just authentic, but it has to then be fresh, but also true to the artist or the art, um, all of those different things. And so I think, yes, in a way that is um, harder a challenge. And then I think it comes to like having the right people and the right team, um, uh, you know, around you, supporting you, coming up with the right insights, caring. I always talk about making sure that I always hire people who are going to care more than me. And I care a great deal, but I always find the people who are going to care even more than me because I, I never want to have to push people. I always, I always want my job to be like, if anything, pulling them back and going, all right, let, let's just let this one go. I think you know what I, mean? like that's a, <laughs> I want to be providing that perspective because you know, if, if you're in a place like Spotify, no one should have to push you. I'm so intrigued about how you build this infrastructure that allows creatives to do their best work. Yeah, I mean, I have a very specific philosophy on it. Um, and I think that there's a ton of different ways to do it in terms of the right infrastructure to build. You know, I think for the type of communications work we do and brand communications and, and marketing communications, et cetera, there is a, you know, a lot of the formula was, was solved already. I, I didn't come up with any of that. The teams of, you know, copywriters and art directors working together, the, the design studio, et cetera. But I do have some specific philosophies in terms of the type of environment and infrastructure that I like to create. Um, it, it's a fairly flat structure. Um, you know, our team is about 45 people, uh, including integrated production, conceptual thinkers and, and makers, and then, and then designers and copywriters. And together as they work, you know, of course, some are more senior and, and you have people who are coming up and, and learning, but um, I'm not interested in a, a ton of, of hierarchy within that. I, I like people to feel as that they're part of a team contributing together. Of course, some should be learning from others and leading projects, but that's one thing. And then I think the other one is an environment that is one, um, 100% free of, of fear um, or, or fear of failure is very, very important. And, you know, I like to think my job is to be providing like a safety net. And by a safety net, I don't mean that they're in a precarious environment or anything like that. Instead, what I want is a team that's like taking such outrageous risks and like feeling so fearless because they know no matter what, they're going to get caught. And they know no matter what, that we're going to get there. Um, because I think that the second in any creative environment or an environment that should be innovating and that should be taking chances, people start to worry about like not getting it right or um, you know feeling like the teammate's not going to catch them and that they'll throw them under a bus later because of it. The second you have that, then everything just gets so much smaller and, and everything sort of um, retracts and the possibilities become much less exciting. And so... You know, the infrastructure is one thing, but I think that the, the culture and the way of working and uh, all of that is, is even so much more important. Yeah, I want to hear even more about that culture and, and free from the fear of failure. So, so how do you handle a scenario where someone technically does fail or don't execute up to standards? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think that that's, there's, there's two parts to that kind of, you know, one thing would be is if the team together were failing all the time, you know, if we just weren't delivering or if, you know, like we're, you know, there was just like, you know, crappy work after crappy work. And that's, then you know that there's an issue. But I think I've been fortunate at Spotify to attract top talent. So, and, you know, and also to have a team large enough that we can cover for each other um, or to have, you know, a few different teams working on a, a challenge or whatever. In terms of what I mean by free from failure is kind of like, 
there's never there's never a review where somebody might have this crazy idea and it's pretty out there and they have to worry about being judged or they have to worry about being like oh god did you hear that one or like you know anything like that you know it's it's I'm not interested in that because you know that crazy idea might not have might not be right for this or it might have been uh, wrong for that but that person's way of thinking might be perfect for the next brief or if I push them further they might come back I'd rather them be right out there um, and taking that chance then to feel that they're going to be judged or they, they have to get it right or they're going to be critiqued. And, you know, I definitely have team members who will have two or three opportunities in a row and, and they'll be striking out. I would only worry if they're striking out because, A, um, they're not trying hard enough, or B, because, to your point, like there's, for whatever reason, that they're, you know, they're just, they're not there right now or, or anything else. Normally, it's just they struck out and my, my job is to encourage them to find the right project for them and invariably, I, I've, I've found that then you find that and then they go and do something that's, you know, career best for them or something we can all be really proud of. Um, so that's the type of in, environment um, that I sort of strive to always uh, create and maintain. And I've been really lucky to do so to date here. No, thanks for adding some clarity to that. I'm also intrigued about how do you judge your own performance? <laughs> that's that's really funny i mean on a bunch of levels um so and and the thing is that sometimes those levels can compete with each other so then you you sort of um need to think about that so i mean a lot of the judgments done for me there's a lot of um very clear measures in terms of am i meeting the business goals uh, is the creativity and the, the things we're creating meeting the business goals that are established at the beginning of of, of any one project what are our overall Brand metrics, what does our growth look like, you know, as, as can be driven by brand, how satisfied are the artists that we're creating creative for, you know, a, a lot of these things, I'm, I'm quite lucky in that the measure is, is pretty clear, <laughs> you know, like, if you're falling short, um, it's, it's, uh, it's a clear one. So there's, there's that part, which is, is done, done for you to a big degree. I think then um, you have to look at your team satisfaction and you have to look at like, are they feeling pushed? Are they feeling supported? Are they feeling like they're getting career progression? Do they feel like it's clear what you expect of them? Are you being a good communicator? And fortunately, at, at a company like Spotify, we have fairly good measures for that. And then, you know, I, I also have the opportunity to check in with them a couple of times of the year. Um, sometimes those two things can be in conflict. You know, sometimes you're having to push your team or ask them to work on something because we know we need to drive the business that might not be the most exciting. So it's a constant balance, but I think they're both equally important. And then there's another measure of judging my own performance, which is just a very soft one and a pretty self-centered one. But it's like, am I waking up motivated and excited? Um, because I think the second that you're in a place like I'm in now, if you get to work with the people you get to work with and everything else, if you're not like getting really excited to like jump into a room and get onto this project or for this thing of work or something like that, then you're, you're clearly like checked out or burnt out or you don't realize how lucky you are to be where you are. And um, that measure is an important one too. Yeah, I think that one is so important. And, and you said self-centered and I almost view it way different than that because if you're not inspired to create great work, how are you going to lead everyone underneath yeah. you to, to do that as well? I want to know, how did you first come to Spotify? Um, again, you know, I think we all fall into these things, except for the people that really freak me out, who are structured and motivated and um, impressive enough to actually plan these things out and, and make them happen. But I, <laughs> that's certainly that's certainly not me. I um, so I moved to New York um, about nine years ago, 
And at that time, I was still relatively junior in my career, but luckily had done well enough in Australia that I was attractive to a, a New York employer. Moved over um, as a sort of senior writer and started at a, a digital agency and was originally working on brands like Unilever. I then um, started to, to move on to some um, other... Um, I had a lot of career progression um, once I got to New York. And by the end of, of that run at that agency, I was um, a group creative director. I'd built a group of about nearly 20 people and I was overseeing all the creative for Mercedes-Benz and Smart Car and um, a few other um, sort of interesting brands. And then we got a, a sort of random, well, not random, but unexpected um, approach from Spotify to pitch for some marketing work that they wanted done. And you can imagine, especially in a digital agency in that type of environment, everyone was like so excited and, and uh, it, it you know, felt like a big opportunity. And so started thinking on that, pitched for the work. We were fortunate enough to win it. And then I started working with a few of the clients, some of whom are still colleagues today, and building out you know, originally um, some fairly straightforward sort of digital marketing um, materials. And then starting to do a bit more interesting like brand level work, um, playing with um, data and, and giving it back to users in, in what was a very successful initial campaign. And then the brand team were interested in working with, with me and the agency. And so I got to know more of them, not just the marketing team, but also the brand folk. And it was about a year or a year and a half into working um, on Spotify. And by that stage, I didn't know it. Like I'd only scratched the surface, but you know, I probably worked with a good 10 to 15 of um, the marketing and brand team. Uh, they seem like such good, nice people um, and such smart people and the, the culture seems so good. The creative opportunity was so exciting that like, of course, it was my favorite client and you know, I, I was yeah, just obsessed with all the projects I, I was working on for them and so excited by them. And then, uh, you know, sort of randomly one day, um, the VP head of brand at the time sort of said to me, well, we're hiring for our first ever global creative director and everyone likes working with you. Would you be interested in, in jumping into something like that? So it really happened that way. Um, it, it wasn't something even that had crossed my mind until um, that, that sort of offer or conversation had begun. Well, I, I know you're an incredibly humble guy, so I'm going to make you probably a little uncomfortable right now. What I love so much about that story is you basically had a year and a half interview process. Yes, that's <laughs> which, true. Which, yeah. which that's what impresses me because you had to prove your work over and over again. But I think the next level is how well you got along with everyone and and helped them produce great work. So, so I really appreciate you sharing that. That's what I, w I was hoping to uncover from that. So it, it's interesting. And and now you're on the other end of it where you're amassing this top talent and the, the most creative people in the world. So what specifically are you looking for when, you, when you're building a creative team? Yeah, um, it's, that's, it's a good question in terms of like the, the type of hires we make and, and who we're looking for. And I think it's evolved. Well, it, it's evolved a little over time or it sort of changes depending on where you are. So when I was first building the team, um, I was looking for um absolute top talent like they had to be you know really great at their craft they had to be super strong because particularly as our team was small at the beginning you know there was no room for like not nailing a brief or, or not getting it right you know i needed people who would just come in and, and be super solid but at the same time i also needed them to be really open-minded because you know even for me taking this job you know going to an in-house creative team and we're going back nearly four years now 
it was no sure thing. And, you know, it was, it was something that was seen as potentially like a, a career backstep or just that it would be a frustrating experience, um, potentially not fruitful. And so I needed people who would be open to the experience, who would come into an environment that, you know, was a, a great culture, but may not be used to working with uh, creatives that have been at agencies, uh, may not always sort of sort of understand their process or understand how to give feedback. So I needed people with a lot of emotional maturity who'd know how to navigate that. And, and I also needed, particularly with those first people I was hiring, I needed them to be um, really, really... Charming isn't the right word, but I needed them to be, you know, so clearly well-intentioned and so clearly like have the right temperament that like, no, like the, the, there wasn't room for like a lot of sort of creative temperaments or, or tempers around stuff. Like it had to be that, that type of people. So it was, it was a hard search because you're looking for top, top talent, then with a really easygoing nature, but then also with this nature that made them like wildly curious. Yeah, you weren't making it easy on yourself. <laughs> no, no, there was a there's a there's a very complicated Venn diagram. So it took me a few months <laughs> to start to bring people in the door. And then once we had that solid base and we'd started to produce, you know, sort of the work that that reached the level that we wanted it to and, and the team had momentum, I then had two things in front of me. Number one was I was no longer having to sell people on the opportunity. You know, people were coming to me, you know, recruiters were saying, oh, I've got a ton of people who want to join that team now. So we, we had um, a really great talent pool and I, I, I was in an, uh, you know, I got to stop having to do the sales pitch and instead really get to know different talent and what they might bring. And then I think I was also in the lucky position to try for an even broader diversity of talent. So, you know, people who might be wildly creative visually or like just like immersed in culture or, you know, somebody who had this particular. And so I could build out um, a group that was um, more diverse in their, in their thinking or the type of work that excited them. And that's, that's sort of where we've landed. Um, and now as I hire, I think the one thing, um, you know, we're big enough that I can, I can bring on all different types of talent. You know, obviously they have to be world-class, you know, obviously they have to be inventive and ambitious and, you know, it's a cliche, but it's still so much about um, personality and the way they'll work with other people because, even more so, like, you know, four years ago, had I brought someone in and then been surprised by, you know, their lack of collaborativeness or the fact that they could be abrasive or anything else that would have been actually fine. You know, I can replace them or whatever and, and too bad. But now the culture that we have is so special that we have to be very protective about it. Um, and that's not to say that we only hire people who are exactly like the people who are here, but we want to hire people who are going to add to the culture in a constructive way. And, and, you know, um, be culturally additive in a way that makes people even happier to come in every day. And I'm very protective of that. You look at the world through a unique lens. So I'm trying to think how this can be applicable to, to many people hiring. And are there specific questions you ask or traits that need to stand out in an interview <laughs> to, to pick out some of these things? You know, it's funny. I was reading um, this book um, it was um, Tina Fey wrote a book called Bossy Pants. And for whatever reason, I was on holiday recently and I'd read it years ago, but it was such a funny book. I thought I'll pick it up and read a random chapter. And I'm going to paraphrase a bit of um, it. She talks about meeting Lorne Michaels when he's you know, interviewing her or considering her to join Saturday Night Live. And um, she meets him, chats to him, and then she finds out later from him that when he's doing those interviews, he's trying to figure out if this is somebody that he wants to see by a photocopier at 2 a.m. in the morning. 
because you can imagine like what a crazy environment that place must be and like the egos and the, the you know like they're putting on a live show every week and so it's it's a very extreme example of kind of the type of industry we're in and, and what we do of course but I thought that was a really funny thing. Just, it just resonated with me because that's kind of how I think about it too. I mean, fortunately, uh, we're never here at 2 a.m. But for me, I'm like actually just trying to get to know someone as a person, spend some time with them. It doesn't have to be somebody I want to be friends with, but you know, is it somebody who seems interesting and do they seem like they're genuine? And, and so I've actually talked to a few people on my team, well, at least more than two, who've told me that like after meeting me a couple of times and spending a couple of hours with me, I didn't really ask them any questions and they didn't know whether they had the job or not at all. They were just really confused <laughs> because, you know, I'd looked at the work and I'd reference checked them and I sort of, you know, most, most of the time I've, I've gotten feedback from other people. I've, I've looked through the work and I've seen what I like. And then I, I feel like it's, there aren't any specific questions that I would apply. I'm, I'm trying to get to know them a bit as people. Like what drives them, you know, what do they laugh at or not, you know, what's their, you know, uh, what's their perspectives and, and what, you know, what do they want to ask me? That to me is so interesting and, and really important. Um, so no, I, I don't think I have like, a, you know, a killer question or like a criteria that I apply. No, what you just expanded on is so much more beneficial than just a specific question. It, it lets us understand the, the real framework that goes into that. You mentioned Tina Fey's book. Are you a big reader at all? I mean, <laughs> I think I've got the disease that um, our entire culture has. I've been a passionate reader my whole life. And I, you know, from young kid, like, like I think, you know, I, I, I was the kid with the, the library membership at seven, you know, like just a very uh, uh, passionate, vociferous reader all the way through through college and after, just going to secondhand bookshops and, and trying something and and sort of devouring them. I do think in the last... Just just under a decade or so, that that's that's really suffered a great deal from online reading, from podcasting, from overdrive, from I think a lot of life changes for me with kids in Korea, in a way that I kind of um, mourn. And one of my favorite things about vacations is just like reading a book every day or two. Um, like I actually I actively look forward to uh, vacations just as much for like the few books I get to pack. And that like time that I get to like build around that because I've given myself the mental space. And I also imagine like a, a return at some stage, like whether that's when the kids leave or whatever, whatever that life stage is where I'm able to like dive back into that. And it's, it's something I actively look forward to. You and I both romanticize both the, the clarity during vacation to read and then also at that later date when maybe yeah. the voraciousness of reading can continue. <laughs> Any any books throughout your time that you've just thoroughly enjoyed and would like to go back to? That's a good question. Um, in terms of going back to, no, I, I I don't I don't think I could pull any one particular out. Um, or say I, I almost have a feeling it's I've got the opposite feeling because I think that when you're a kid and when you start reading as a teenager and a young adult, you can really sort of start to read everything. You've got this weird feeling of like catching up, like oh, who's this? John Updike, I've heard of, or who's this, you know, John Didion, and I need to know more about the, like, you know, you're so behind the eight ball, you're like, you know, decades behind all this incredible writing that, you know, you should, uh, you should be catching up on or understanding or knowing or that, you know, people older than you are talking about. And I suspect it's going to be the same. Like, it definitely is when I'm on holiday. I'm like, oh God, what are the books everyone's been talking about over the last year or that those friends kept recommending to me? So 
I, I feel like I'm constantly in catch-up mode. So I, no, I haven't actually thought about rediscovering anything. <laughs> well, well, I want to put you on the spot. I, I, I tend to have a book almost coming every single day via Amazon. Any books that you would recommend? Oh, right now that I would recommend? Yep. Um, oh, God. Um, what was the last book that I devoured that... No, I think you're putting me on the spot. I don't want to be on the line for any one particular book. Okay. Um, I did... Well, I did... Um, read the reason why I was trying to, was a little bit confused earlier about the Tina Fey book and whether I got the anecdote from that or something else was it was my birthday recently and um my wife gave me the oral history of um SNL um uh, I think it's um live from New York it's called and that is a sort of wild read that I was like I, I ripped through that in a couple of weeks just on the subway because it's not really a book, right? It's just a bunch of people talking and these anecdotes and all these incredibly creative people. And I think it related the whole idea of the writer's room and just putting on a show and pulling stuff together and making creative people work together. It was just a pretty compulsive, salacious read that that had enough applicable to my day to day that it was uh, easy to rip through. Um, would I say it's like? one of the best books ever. No, but if you're a comedy nerd or you're into the creative process, it's, it's a very fun read. Certainly have to pick that one up. I want to get more into the creative process and specifically your creative process. Is there anything you do to brainstorm new ideas or just tap into your own creative? Yeah, no, I, 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 tried, I tried all because I don't think that there is some um, magic uh, formula. So um, you know, at any one time we're working on different creative opportunities and or problems. Some people call them problems because eventually you have to solve them. Um, I think brainstorms have a place. I think brainstorms can be really great, particularly when you've got a bunch of people who haven't worked together a lot or you, you're moving very quickly and you want to get somewhere. I think that they should only be run by certain people um, who are really good at them or like facilitated by certain people who are really good at them. And I think who's in the room is really important because I think also um, brainstorms can be incredibly um, dangerous is too strong a word, but I, I think that they can be not necessarily helpful, but when done well, I think that they're great. I don't rely on them though. I think that they're kind of like additive to a process or anything else. Um, I think another thing is, um, and this has been like actually kind of, um, scientifically tested and proven and definitely something I've found is to think intensely hard on something and almost give yourself time and space to like write out a ton of different ideas, ways in, ways you could go with it, random headlines, random visual things that come to mind, really sort of purge and to spend some time on that and, and don't really worry about how good it is. Um, and then stop. <laughs> so stop and then just go off and do other things. And a lot of my sort of, a lot of the best ideas or, or thoughts that have gone somewhere or become something interesting I've had while doing my kids' bath time or while I've, I've had while seemingly meaningless tasks or in, in the middle of a conversation about something else. And that's because the way that we're wired is actually if you've spent ages thinking on this, you go off and do other things and in the background your brain is still, it's still there. So. Um, and it's actually probably when it's not being forced, more likely to land somewhere kind of interesting. And that's not unique to me. I mean, that's a technique that's been used by, by creatives in this industry anyway for generations. And I think we've all heard all the stories through the centuries of, you know, um, the scientists or the whatever who had the weird sort of flash in the brain. There's a reason for that kind of cliche. So I think that that's important. Um, I think another 
thing that I've found is there's your personal process and that's fine. You know, if, if you're seasoned enough and, and you've got some talent or, or ability in this field, then you'll get somewhere uh, on your own, which is interesting. But I think the ability to give the beginning of an idea to somebody else and trusting to do that um, is hugely beneficial. And a lot of the, the best work I've done here at Spotify has been me having like the kernel of a thought or the strategy or like something that I think is really interesting. Um, and then trusting it to a, a few folk or great creatives who work for me and then sort of being amazed by where they take it and just kind of going, oh, wow, okay, I, I never would have gotten there. Um, and that's something that I think is very hard for you to do at the beginning of your career, um, but is like as you get more confident, as you have the right team around you, uh, leads to great results. I love hearing about this. Your your entire process, what what you've discovered works well. Is there anything that you've done just around your environment to help with your creative process? Uh, I wouldn't say so. And I think um, I've always, um, maybe I'm lucky in that, I, oh, I had one, I worked in Asia for a while and we had this incredible environment. It was very inspiring and, and just like the architecturally and everything else. But otherwise, I've always tended to be in places that are, it's desks and chairs and computers and maybe there's a plant. My desk is normally not so inspiring, <laughs> a little bit messy most of the time. It's, you know, controlled chaos and, and everything else. And, you know, we just moved, uh, Spotify moved to the World Trade Four Center and it's, the views are amazing, obviously. And you sort of see New York and from the, you know, 60th floor and all of the rest of it. So it's, it's, it's very inspiring in that sense. But at the end of the day, it's, it's an office, you know, this, we're, we're in sort of an office building, et cetera. So I think it's, it's much more interesting or what, important in terms of like what's happening between people's ears than like, you know, how, how hyper-creative or inspiring the environment around them is. What's happening between people's ears. We, we've got inside look in, into your creative process, a lot that you're doing at Spotify. Where can the listeners best stay connected with you? Is there anything they should be checking out? Um, not really. I'm, I, <laughs> I think I'm, I'm in a phase of, uh, of my life and career right now where, you know, my, my time is, is so committed either to, um, the work that we're putting out for Spotify for um, the team that's doing that work. And then, you know, obviously where that's our work is, is, is never more than half of what we do. So it's the family I'm building and um, my life here in Brooklyn and the moments, you know, in between that where, where we can sort of travel and, and experience that I'm really, really bad at like self-publishing or self-promoting <laughs> or, uh, or finding time to, to sort of commit to many of these thoughts, which is why I really appreciate the, the time to chat. It's fun to do this. It's fun to talk about this stuff because I, uh, the day-to-day is, is what motivates me at the moment. Well, you have some inspiring things going on, so I really do appreciate you uh, allowing an hour of this. So thanks so much for joining us on What Got You There. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Hey guys, I want to tell you about the brand I'm obsessed with right now. And you guys know I'm pretty obsessive about the brands I work with, especially when it comes to athletic apparel. You guys need to check out 10,000. You need to head to 10,000.cc and you guys can enter code WGYT and you're going to receive 20%, yes, 20% off your entire order. Why do I love 10,000? 10,000 created the only training shorts you'll ever need. They do so by simplifying your options to deliver three premium shorts that perfectly cover all the ways you train. They have one built for versatility, another for durability, and one super lightweight, perfect for one of those runs or 
whatever else you do for fitness, no matter what you do, they have you covered. CrossFit, running, spin, yoga, lifting, or your weekend adventure, it doesn't matter what you do for fitness. They have a short for every way you train. They make it super simple, too, to find the right short. Just pick the short that's best for you, your lifestyle, personalize it with your individual needs with a custom liner and inseam options, and start getting after it. Not sure if they have the right short? No need to worry, you guys. Make a return or exchange. They offer free shipping, free exchanges, and free returns on every order. Like I said, 10,000 is my favorite brand right now. I am wearing their apparel all the time when I'm working out. I can't recommend them enough. Head to 10,000.cc, enter code WGYT, and you've got 20% off your entire order. Looking for your next getaway to a beach paradise? Ever consider Tulum, Mexico, which is one of my favorite places to spend a few days? Then look no further than Colibri Boutique Hotels to make your trip to paradise one you'll never forget. Head to ColibriBoutiqueHotels.com to see their hotels, all of which offer their own unique feel. Calibri not only has built amazing hotels, but have partnered with some of the best chefs and mixologists on the planet to make your stay truly memorable. Making change transpire. That's the mission behind the most amazing tasting protein bar brand taking the nutrition industry by storm. That brand, they're MCT Co. And they make the most delicious, keto-friendly, all-natural collagen protein bars. If you're obsessed with the quality of food going into your body like I am, then head out and pick up these amazing bars jammed with 10 grams of collagen protein. They only have two to three net carbs, no added sugar, and loaded with high-quality MCT oil for the healthy fats from coconuts. Whether you're busy running the kids around from activity to activity, a professional athlete, or just someone looking for a great-tasting convenience snack, do yourself a favor. Head to mctco.com and use code WGYT for 20% off your order. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh. What got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.